checkpoint. And well, I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. All right. Yeah, I know it. We're running a little bit late. Is it face crooked? I'm kind of crooked anyway, so. All right, uh, turn in your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to the book of Job. The book of Job. We're going to spend, uh, just kind of give you a preview. I know the book of Job is difficult at times to understand. So my goal is, on Wednesday night, we'll walk through this and we'll do some explanation. We'll talk about what you're reading and uh, we'll get back to the to what does this text say, what does it refer to, uh, everything like that. So we'll do that on Wednesday night. On Sunday morning, I'm going to start a new series. Um, you, I don't think you all have ever heard me preach a series, but I'm going to do a sermon series. Um, I haven't, I've been playing around with the title, so I don't kind of have a title yet. But to give you a gist of it, it is... Um, oh, the suffering, having faith in the midst of struggles, having the myth, uh, faith in the midst of uh, um, pain, disappointment. You know, you know where I'm getting all of these ideas from? From the book of Job. Because he asked some very good questions. He, he is, and we're going to talk about this tonight. We're going to look at some of the questions that he asked. And we can begin to see, we can begin to identify the beginning of depression. Uh, by some of the statements that he has made, and we're going to look at some of those things, and um, we're going to talk very briefly about how to, how do you deal with stuff like that? How do you deal with major disappointments and setbacks and struggles and uh, all those kind of things? So, yes, unconditional faith, yeah, but it's tough. It's tough, and and. Oh, the title? I don't know. I got to come up with something gimmicky. You know me. I got to come up with something, have it rhyme, and you know, to where Laura can sing it and and stuff like that. So, all right. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer, and um, we'll begin to dig into the book. Uh, Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord, and we thank you for what you are doing here with the kids and with the youth. Lord, we thank you for the devotion that our teachers have to see biblical truths being built in, being modeled, being taught, being explained uh, to our kids and our youth. Tonight, I, I ask for a special blessing over them. I pray, God, that you will use them in a mighty way, that you will open up the minds of the children to receive your word. And, Lord, I pray that you will uh, allow the illustrations to, to reach them, to be self-explanatory, Lord, so that they can understand Lord, we know that you want us to hear you and to know your will. So, Lord, we're asking that you will use these teachers as instruments in your hand to begin to shape these young children and young men and young women into becoming mighty people for your kingdom purpose. And, Lord, as we begin to study tonight, Lord... Um, I pray that you will uh, allow us to see the big picture, allow us to see uh, this story and, and begin to understand some of the difficult things in life. 
God, I pray that you will um, give us revelation, give us understanding. Lord, let us go to the text confidently so that we can uh, hear from you and find application that we can put into our life. Lord God, you are the teacher. You're the master, and Lord, we are your students, and we want to sit at your feet. So, Lord, with our Bibles open, we ask you to open our hearts and place your word in it. Lord, let it grow. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so let me give you a little uh, uh, story or some of the things, because uh, the book of Job is is very... uh, mind-blowing when you want to look at the thematics, you know, what does it carry? The book of Job is dated, um, it's dated as far as being written somewhere around the time of Moses. So most people, and historically and traditionally, uh, they credit Moses for being the author of the book of Job. Uh, Some of the languages and some of the imagery that he uses is very similar uh, to what he used in the other writings. So it was, it's one of those things that is kind of given that Moses now, whether or not we know uh, Moses wrote the book, we don't know. He never says, this is the story about Job by Moses. He never says that. But linguistically, a lot of people have made those connections. Uh, backing up to the story of Job, a lot of the context, a lot of the context of and what what you're going to see is certain indicators kind of gives us a timeline of when the story of Job took place. And it was sometime before around the time of Abraham. That's why we stopped in Genesis chapter 11 before we began to talk about Abraham. Before those things, we inserted in the in our reading plan. Now we're reading the book of Job because chronologically the story would be found before Abraham. Well, how do I know that? It's because of the value of wealth was identified by animals and children and stuff like that. It was around that day and age, around the time. There's other indicators there that helps us date when it happened sometime around the time of Abraham. Now, what about that intro? What about that intro? Here we see in Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the, in the land of Uz, Uz, whose name was Job. And, and I asked Benjamin, and we were together this afternoon, I said, why do we say Job and not Job? And he couldn't give me an answer, so I have nothing for you. I don't know. I sought the wise counsel of Benjamin, and he didn't know. So we're going to just continue to call it Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female uh, donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of the feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings 
according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So Job had a lot of children, okay? And the children liked to get together and have these great festivals, these feasts, which we included with a lot of drinking. Uh, Job would go and offer burnt offerings. We don't know what burnt offerings, or you might not know what burnt offerings is, but it is something that you would light, you would kill an animal, you would light it, and it would be consumed by the fire. There are certain offerings that they could offer in Israel. And, and remember, this was done before the law, long before the law was given. So Job is beginning to recognize that there had to be atonement. There had to be death. You had to, the killing of an animal, a shedding of blood, so that a person's sins could be atoned for. So this is early on when this was taking place. And he would light these animals on fire and they would be consumed. So he's giving it all to the Lord. That's what the burnt offering does. It's burned up and it's consumed. Because Job said, who knows? I mean, he's a good dad. I think he's a good dad. He's thinking about his kids, you know, and they're, they get together, they drink, and they eat, and they have these little get-togethers. And, and he knows that as they begin to drink, they might say things inadvertently. They might do something. So Job really was concerned about his children, so he would offer these uh, burnt offerings. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household, around all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land? But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, the word behold there, um, I'm glad that in the King James it, it puts it in there. Um, some translations leave that word out. The word behold means to stand in amazement. Stand in wonder for what I'm about to say. All that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came in and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, this could have been very much a lightning strike. A lightning strike, fire coming down from heaven is very, it could be to kind of 
answer that for you. It could be fire from heaven, don't get me wrong, but it also could refer to a lightning strike that kills a flock. All right? Um, while he was still speaking, another said, uh, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided camels, and took them away. And yes, killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 18. While he was still speaking, another also came in and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are all dead. Now let's pause right there. I want, I want to kind of back up and let's put this in perspective. Let's kind of grab this thing and look at this. Let me try to explain some things. Remember, when you hear me talk about the Garden of Eden, okay, when you hear me talk about that, many times you will hear me say the counsel of God. The counsel of God is in the Garden of Eden. Th think of it this way. That was the Garden of Eden was God's throne room. And in God's throne room, we can have several different pictures throughout Scripture. You have a myriad and myriad and myriad of angels that are surrounding Him. And many of them are praising and singing praises to His name because He's holy. They can't help but say, you are holy, you are holy, you are holy. And also... And this is also found in the book of Daniel, and it's also found in other portions of Scripture, that there are watchers that God sends out over the universe. Now imagine God in his throne room, and he's got all of these angels around him, and they're praising him and singing praises to him. But at the same time, he is sending watchers over the earth. And I want you to imagine those watchers as they come back and they go, Lord God, you are holy, for I have seen the glory of your wondrous universe. I have seen the stars being created, being birthed. I've seen universes being put together. Lord God, you are almighty, you are all powerful. But he also, y'all get this, now this is kind of hard to grab a hold of. Angels come back and report on us. They come back to God and say, God, you are holy. Remember what Jesus said? He said, when one sinner repents, what do the angels do? They rejoice. So the angels in heaven come before the throne of God and they say, Lord God, you are holy and you're righteous and you're just because the sinner has received the atonement that you have given to him. And Lord, you are worthy of all praise. See, I could get into some deep discussions on that thought, but just think about it for a minute. At the moment of the cross of Calvary, the brutality of the cross, the big question mark in history is why a cross? Why a curse upon man? Why this? And God used that to redeem his people. So how the wickedness of the earth and wickedness of us and, God, and the angels are going, Lord God, you are worthy. You are just. Because it, it, they have received what you have given to them. So angels are doing that. Now you've heard me make that statement before. Uh, this comes from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a writer. Y'all might have heard of the Chronicles of Narnia. 
He was one of the greatest uh, apologists. Uh, you might be wondering what it was, apologist. Um, he is a person who is a defender of the faith. Now, C.S. Lewis started out as an atheist. But he turned and he became a Christian. And in writing, he had such depth of philosophical thoughts. He took a comparison of the angels walking over the earth and looking and coming back and reporting before God. He also proposed that what do the demons do? Because there's a certain indicators in the scriptures, and I want to say, I know one of them is in the book of Revelation because we just read it. And I want to say the other one is in Zechariah. But there's indicators that the accuser stands before God and accuses the brethren. In other words, as think about it right now at this very moment. In the throne room of God, you've got angels Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Numbers we cannot count of angels that are uh, flying around singing his praise. And then you have angels coming before God reporting of the things that are happening in the universe. And God knows all of these things. God doesn't need the angels. You might wonder, but why does he use them? Why does he use us? I don't know. But he chooses to do that because it's part of his perfect plan. So angels are standing before him. I can see the angels coming and saying, You know those Americans just launched a rocket ship to deter an asteroid. And the Lord goes, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Don't you worry about those things. I've got this. Uh, you know, I, I, this is what I, Because angels, one thing that we do know about angels is they are not omniscient. They do not know all things. So they're very dependent upon God. Okay? At the same token, the enemy is not omniscient. He does not have all knowing. He can only know certain things. Things that have been revealed to him. But the scripture says he is very crafty. He's one of the best that are out there. So he has a way of figuring you out. Okay, so, so the demons come before God. And I mentioned this with C.S. Lewis. He wondered if the demons come before God and say, look at those that you have died for and look at what they're doing. That's some heavy thought, isn't it? You know, and I, I mentioned this before, and it's something that you and I should ponder on. Because of the seriousness of our sin. God does not take our sin lightly. How do I know that? It's because he killed Jesus over our sin. If there was another way he would have done it, Jesus asked him three times. If there's any other way, God, let this cup pass for me. The silence of heaven shows that there was no other way. There is no other way. So Jesus Christ suffered and he died on the behalf of mankind in the redemption of mankind. So the angels, or let's say the demons stand before God and say, there's that one, Jim Collins, you died for him. And look at what he's doing. How is he bringing you honor? Oh, God. Think about that for a minute. It's, it's, it's heart-wrenching, isn't it? 
For the one who died for us. And here's the beauty of it. I want to give you kind of a New Testament perspective as we go through this. Jesus is our advocator. or He is our um, mediator. Uh, um, I think I made up a word. Uh, He's our mediator. So he is standing right at the right hand of the Father. Which means he's in a position of authority. And he said, that blood is mine. That blood is mine. So to answer the enemy who is standing before God going, look at Jim Collins and look at that one that you had died for and look at him and what he is doing. Doesn't that disgust you, O God? Jesus is saying that blood is mine. He is mine. Isn't it wonderful? That doesn't give us an excuse to run out and do whatever we want to do because out of Our faith should come loyalty. If we don't have loyalty to God in our faith, then what is faith? Right? Okay, so in that context of the biblical throne room, here you have the adversary who's coming. I would call them the accusers. Okay, now the scripture says that this is Satan himself. It could be Satan himself or it could be one of his minions you know that it doesn't matter it's from his camp this uh, uh, um, accuser stands before God and God points him out now remember this nobody in that throne room has any idea of what is about to happen and God all of a sudden says where you been I've been kind of kicking around, you know, going around the earth, checking things out. And then he said, have you considered Job? And then what what did the adversary say? What did he say to him? He said, uh, "Does does Job not fear you because of what you give him? That's what he's saying. Job fears you. Job only follows you, God, because of what you're going to give him. You take that stuff away from him, and he'll get you. He'll, he'll curse you, God. You take everything away from him, he, he'll curse you. And then God says, take it. Now, I'm, I'm giving you the not the King James Version, but the Little Jim Version, right? I'm giving you the Little Jim Version, putting it down in the simple terms. So all of a sudden, God says, take it. So he did. And when he did it, he did it in such a dramatic way. Think about losing all of your wealth in one day. And your children in one day. Everything happened because the enemy is very crafty. He knows if he'll just keep piling on. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because I, I've sat around. I, I'm telling you, I think about kooky things. Think about what the angels thought. You know, the angels have seen major failures by human beings. Did y'all know that? God created the heavens and the earth. He put a garden of Eden. He invited humans in it to it. And then what happened? God said, don't eat it. What did they do? They ate it. <laughs> And then, and then they start cre- trying to create this, or, or you, let's go to the flood. 
You, you've got this wicked generation that comes upon the earth. And I preach Sunday morning. The Spirit of God is moving throughout the earth going, Stop it, stop it, stop, stop doing this, stop doing this. And they're not listening. And God finally says, Whoop, I'm pulling back because I'm about to destroy. So the angels have seen that. And then here's the righteousness of Noah, right? Noah builds a ship. He's very obedient. He carries this through. And then what does Noah do? He builds a vineyard. Very first thing, right? He does a vineyard. He gets drunk. And then the weirdest thing happens, right? His nakedness is uncovered. And now he curses not the one who saw it, but his Canaan. It's a weird thing, real, weird, really weird situation. But you have Noah, a, another one who, who dropped the ball. And here you just have, you know, angel after angel is going, yeah, I could see, I could see one angel going there going, oh, Lord, you just didn't, you, you didn't just really put it all on Job. Lord, Lord, I, Wow. So I call that the moment of the silence of heaven. heaven, Because the angels, I can't help but think that the angels went. And the Lord said, take it. Take it. And then Satan. And they're watching. You know they're watching. And and I I could just see them chewing on their heavenly nails. (laughs) What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And here we go. Verse 20. And then Job rose up. You know, the angels are going, "Mm, what's, what's about to happen? He tore his robe. He shaved his head. Now, these are two signs of great anguish and remorse. And he fell to the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, in the text, it doesn't say this. But in verse 22, it says, In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Can you now see the applause of heaven and going, Lord, you you were right. You were right. Praise you, God, because you were right. Now, this brings us to theological truths that we can discuss. Number one, God is sovereign. And this is something that we, we will begin to see. Uh, some of it is going to be called into question as we go through the book of Job. People are going to ask questions. So we're going to walk through some of it. We're going to walk through this book together. We're going to kind of take our time going through it. Um, but there's certain points that I wanted to bring out to bring this to a, a, a point. There's... And here's one truth that you need to remember. You might want to write this one down. God's plan will be done. There's one truth that you're going to learn from the book of Job. God's plan will be done. His plan is perfect. If you wanted that preaching, his plan is perfect. His providential care is profound. I'm kidding. Uh, But... His plan, he will, everything, there's nothing that can stop the plan of God. Okay, with that being said, let's look at Satan. Satan can only do what God will allow. 
Notice this. Satan couldn't touch him without permission. He admitted that, did he not? He said, you got a hedge around him. I cannot get to him. Drop the hedge, let me in, I'll get him, he'll curse you. Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. And God, he is limited in power. God draws the line. Now I want you to think, now here's what I want you to think about. How many of y'all have ever walked up on a house? Okay, I've done this a few times. You go out doing visiting with me, it will happen to you with me, and you will see a side of me that you've never seen. I will scream like a girl. Okay, I'm just telling you, when you go up to knock on a door and all of a sudden you hear it, and some beast, the hounds of hell are coming with a log chain around his collar and they're coming at you full speed and you got the tingle going down from the top of your head all the way down your back and your feet are frozen. They say you're either going to do one or two things. You're going to flee or fight in a situation like that. I must be a fighter because I'm stuck. <laughs> all right? I must have to fight because I, my feet won't move. And all of a sudden, and there it is, just chopping. And you're, thank God, the chain is not another foot longer. Right? It has happened to me more times. I've even had the spittle of the dog flying in my face. It's been that close before. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and I have to go over and compose myself for a minute, right? Whew, that was close. Think about that with Satan. He's coming at you with everything he can. But God has set the limit on how far he can go. Yes, he did. He said, you cannot touch his body. Yeah, he come back for a second time. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. In the second part, he comes back. He comes back to God. It's in chapter 2. He comes back. Then then there was another day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And he asked him, what have you been doing? And it's, it's the same repeat of the same thing, right? Then the Lord said to Satan in verse 3, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that man has he would give for his life. But you stretch out your hand now and touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but you can't take his life.
Okay, let, let's, because at the, let, let's just say this right off the bat. The book never says why. The book never answers why. So for us to put the pieces together, it's once again, it's way beyond our scope. We can't. All we know is what's been given to us. But what we can do is we can go through this um, kind of a systematic way. We can go through it, and we can begin to study the certain insights. And, and I, this is going to just be a teaser. When we start getting in chapter 38 and 40, we're going to start finding a little bit of why. A little bit. But it's not going to be, okay, look, let me give you the reasons. You're not going to see that, but we can begin to see. When God begins to speak, you're going to see that. Now, that doesn't... <coughs> be patient. Be patient in your reading. Uh, seek to try to find the application in the text that's before you in your reading. So what, I, what I'd like to do, uh, Rafi, is... To answer the big question is to say, well, number one, the, the God never answers that question in the book, point blank. So for me to, to, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can come up with probably three or four reasons, but none of them would suffice. They would all be flawed with my thinking because I'm thinking of it in my terms, not in a God terms. Um, go back to the illustration I used before. <clears throat> for us to try to understand the things of like God would be like an ant trying to understand the internal combustion engine. Why would an ant need to understand how an engine works in the car? Is an ant ever going to drive the car? Is an ant ever going to stop and put gas in the car? Is an ant ever going to change the oil in the car? Is any of those things ever going to happen? So why would an ant be worried about doing, you see the, the vastness of the knowledge between an ant and, and those kind of things. So just hold on to that. When, when we start trying to think like God, we're going to fall short because we're just an ant. Okay? So, but let's stick to the text and let's kind of, I know I elaborated a little bit on my perspective. And, and so I, I thank you all for being patient through that. But let's look at some points that we can identify. Number one is exactly what uh, Rafi is saying. Job was attacked because of his lifestyle. Would y'all not agree with that? He was singled out to be attacked because of how he lived. Now, what did the scripture say? It called him righteous. Now, the word righteous there, if you take the Hebrew root and look at it, it means there is no observable sin in his life. So that means people around would have looked at Job and said, man, he's, he is living a good life. He's a good man. All right? God was pleased with Job. We see that in the text. God bragged on Job. Right? Uh, Satan... Um, kind of said, well, it's not fair. 
because you've hedged him, and then we're going to talk about the hedging. But God admitted, or God said, that he not only avoids sin, but he sought goodness. God gives, and he takes away. Job said that. Job identified. Got to give, and got to take away. Job did not sin against God or blame God through the, the time of trial. All right? So Satan comes back, and he asks God again. He, uh, uh, Satan asks God, can, you know, hey, can I, can I touch his body? If I touch his body, he'll curse you. So he gave him boils. He gave him sores. So much so that he would take the broken pottery. He would sit there and scrape his skin. Can you all imagine? From the, from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. He was covered in it. So much so that his friends. Now, I want you, we, his friends, <coughs> with friends like his, you don't need enemies, right? Now, in all honesty, it was a big task for the friends to even come there. Think about this. In that day and age, when all of the... And let, let's just ask this question. Let's just ask this question right now. If something like that would have happened to somebody like us, our first thing would be just like the friends of Job. What'd they do wrong? For God to pour down so much wrath upon this person, what were they doing? Okay, in that day and age... And, and we're going to kind of get to it just a little bit. They had a limited understanding of God because God has, hasn't fully began to reveal himself. He gave them lit, little bits and pieces. And, and, and why does God do that? That is the beauty and the wonder of our God. That he does not expect a total transformation. He brings us along very gently according to how we can handle it. God knows, so he pulls us closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to him in the relationship with him. That's the way God works. That's the way God is. He pulls us closer. Now, what I mean by that is as they're drifting down this river of culture, they are exposed to a lot of beliefs around them, but God is gently pulling them. So Job is going to say things, and Job's friends are going to say things through the context, through the lens of how they see things. So how they believe things are being done. So they have a limited understanding of these things. So we're going to see this. So the friends understand this. Anything in that day and age that would have happened to a guy like it did Job, the world would have thought, <clears throat> that man is cursed. That man is cursed. He's done something. And the gods are angry. And they're going to destroy that man. So you don't even want to go in the same town of where that guy lives. Because you might get caught up in that stuff. That's what everybody would have thought. Now here comes Job's friend. That took a bit of courage to come and to sit with Job. And they sat there for seven days and seven nights. And it says in verse 13 of chapter 2, they sat there seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. He had a great, great grief. 
So they sat there for a complete period of time, a whole week, and just mourned for their friend. And then Job starts talking. Okay, now we're, we're going to look at some of the things that Job talks about. He talks about the, the darkness. So as you're reading this, he's going to start talking about the... Uh, let me kind of read along with you and kind of explain some things. After this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born. And the night in which it was said, a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. Now remember, in the Jewish thought, darkness represents uncertainty, unknowing. It it, it's, the, it's the chaos of all things. It is that thing that you, uh, you can't control, you don't know, it's hard to reason through. But light, it, it illuminates, it shows things that you can began to navigate. So in the Jewish thought, remember, Jewish people saw things not in the beauty of things. They saw its usefulness. Darkness was not useful. It was very chaotic at night. Light was very useful. It guided you. It helped you. It kept you warm. It, it allowed you to see things in the times of the darkness. So now... Um, Job is beginning to say to God, he's calling out, and, he, and he's, he's in a part of his hurting and his grief, and he's saying this, may the darkness, may the realm of chaos swallow me up. And that's the way they viewed things. The way they viewed things was God spent his time pushing back the darkness. And as long as they lived where they lived, God was pushing back the darkness from them. And what Job is saying, will you let go and let them fall? Let the stuff come down on me. The things that you're holding back from me personally, go ahead and take me. Take me out. And when he uses the Leviathan, now y'all probably wondering, what in the world is a Leviathan? A Leviathan is a mythical creature. That they believed lived in that day and age. And it was in the darkness. It was the most. Listen. Here's the definition of Leviathan. It was the most feared thing on the earth. It was the most feared thing upon the earth. So Job is saying. May the Leviathan take me out. The thing that everybody feared the most. Darkness. Let the darkness overcome the day. And that, that was Job's cry. He was basically saying, and I've used this in an illustration, and I've felt that way before. When life was kicking me down and down and down, I stood before people. I remember even saying this in the pulpit. I was hurting, and I couldn't. I couldn't do anything, and it felt like every wave was knocking me deeper and deeper and deeper. And I remember standing before the church and saying, I feel like I've stepped off in the ocean. I've lost my footing, and one wave has hit me, and I'm trying to get back up, and another wave has hit me, and another wave has hit me, and another wave has hit me. And I remember standing before the people of the church and saying, and I'm asking God, will you just keep me under? Will you just finish me? Because I can't fight anymore. Here's Job. 
This is where he is. So he begins to cry. He begins to weep. And in the midst of this weeping, he begins to say some things. He begins to ask some questions. And there are several questions that we can see here that he does in, in chapter 3, verse 11. And in, in ongoing, the questions that he's asking. He's asking, number one, why didn't I die when I was born? Why am I? In, in fact... I want y'all to think about these truths because as I was reading this and studying this, you know, there are certain truths that I began to identify when we get discouraged, when we get defeated, when the enemy is coming after us. You want to say you're entering into depression. We are ready to give up. Here are some things that we will begin to think. And here's what Job was thinking. Death has to be better than this. How many of us have ever thought that? I have. I'm better dead than alive. That's what he's saying. Here's another truth you'll see him saying. Um, his life, this is something that he's saying. His life is worthless because of his current situation. This is what he is saying. Everything that's happened in my life is worthless because of the situation that I'm in. Does that make sense to you? When everything was happening, he's looking back. On his life and he's saying, oh, it's, it's all worthless. None of that many things. But what did God say about it until the moment when all this happened? What did God say? But what is Job saying when all of the stuff is beginning to happen? Everything that's happened to me before now is worthless. My life is worthless because of all of this stuff. And he's even calling his family into question. He's even calling his mom and dad. Why didn't you just snuff me out when I was a little kid? Why did you let me sit on my father's knee and be received into this community? Why wasn't I just taken out at night and just forgotten and dropped? So in other words, um, he's saying my life is worthless because of this current situation. And my their integrity is called into question because of my, my current situation. And he's thinking, death has got to be better than anything I'm living through. Life should not have been given if there would... In other words, Job is backing up saying, I should have never been given life if life was going to give me this. This is what he's saying. I don't blame him either. I've thought some of those same things questions before I should have never been given the point of living if I had to go through what I'm going through now that's what he's saying and now he's beginning to ask God questions right you get down and towards the end he starts asking in verse 23 why is light given to man whose way is hidden and whom God is hedged in now this idea of hedging it's a double-edged sword, right? I want you to think about this for a second. If I take something and put it here on this stage and I build a wall all around the, the item that is left, let's just say I'm going to put a person on this stage, I'm going to put them in there, and then I'm going to box them in, I'm going to put a wall all the way around them. Are they protected? We would all say, yeah, he's protected. Okay, what can he see? That's happening out here. 
That's Job's question. If the blessing of God has kept me in the dark about the evil of the world, why? I mean, I've, I've, ser I've served God, and, and why? Why am I left with this? And Job begins to ask God, um, he's asking, why isn't God explaining? Why isn't God telling me right now why I'm going through this? And then all of a sudden, Job's friends began to speak. Now, as we go through this, I want you to think about this. The very first one that spoke, he had to have been the oldest. See, in that day and age, the, the elders, the older uh, men were, were um, considered to be smarter. Gray hair, Rafi, gray hair meant a crown of wisdom. <laughs> well, I'm with you, brother. Uh, I mean, I used to say, well, I'd rather my hair turn gray than turn loose. And then it started doing both. Um, so people of older age was considered to be wiser, so there was a reverence for them. You ever wonder why Peter was mentioned first among the apostles? Um, the order of the names is always important. That's a little biblical tool for you. It's always important the way they're listed. So the first one that spoke would have been the most respected one out of the bunch. Okay, now he started to speak. All right, and he, if I could just summarize some of what he was saying, and because I'm running out of time, and I'm probably just going to stop him, stop here with him, and we'll pick up. Next week with the next, and we'll keep pushing through the questions. Uh, you'll have one, um, Eliphaz, Eliphaz, will um, make a statement. And what he's saying is, is all suffering was punishment for sin. That's his premise. He's saying every person that suffers is due to the sins that are in their life. Job, you had to have sinned. You had to have broken a law somewhere along the line. You just don't know what the law is. Remember, he's hedged in. So there had to be something that God didn't tell you, but you did it, and now God's punishing you, and this is what he's telling you. So that's, that's where he is. And, um, and then you go through chapter 5, and then you see... Job in chapter 6 and Job's um, response in chapter 6. Now, what I'm going to do is pick up Job's response in chapter 6 next week, and we'll walk on a little bit further, okay? And we'll be able to walk through some of these and hopefully going through this a little bit slower. You know, you and, all, you and I have all come to points in our life where suffering and, and disappointment and whatever you want to call it, all of this kind of stuff causes us, it calls our faith into question. And it causes us to dig deeper and find that of what we really believe in and lean into it. And that's where Job, where he was trying, he's like, look, guys, if I've done something, you point it out. If I've done anything, come on, guys, tell me. Do you know, have you heard anything? Here's, <laughs> and I want you to 